Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you, Nathan. It's so lovely to see you all here this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those and open them up at Matthew 9, verses 9 to 13. If you don't have your Bibles, don't worry. The words will come up on the screen. So we are talking this morning and continuing our Encountering Jesus series. We've looked at chapters 8 and part of 9 over the last seven weeks. And really, chapters 8 and 9 are here to illustrate Jesus' sermons from earlier on in the Gospel. It's here in 8 and 9 that Jesus communicates to us in his words and his deeds. And so far this series, we've seen Jesus exert his authority, we've seen his compassion, his grace, his healing power, and his forgiveness of sins. And so it's here in chapter 9, verses 9 to 13, that for me, in the short section, we really see Matthew coming together in his intentions of how Jesus communicates to us in these two chapters. So... Let's dive in and read the scripture. Okay. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a Matthew, uh, uh, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what that means. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And so it's here, right at the start of this section, that we see Matthew sitting in his tax collector's booth. And as Jesus leaves the town, he approaches Matthew, commands him to follow him. Now, up until this point, we can assume that Matthew had no inclination to follow Jesus. It's not written about earlier on in his script, and there's no inclination from Matthew that he's met Jesus previously. But, so moved by his words, Matthew gets up, leaves behind his lucrative career, and follows Jesus. In fact, he blazes straight past his own testimony. Now, I don't know about you, but I love a good testimony. I love hearing of how people have connected with Jesus and why they've chosen to follow him at that time. And testimonies can be so powerful. And so it is a little frustrating that Matthew here misses it. But I think that's because there's a real point for us. If we had Matthew's testimony there, I think we'd probably miss the overall encounter. Matthew wants us to focus on Jesus' words, his words to follow him. And it's here, in his first encounter with Jesus, that we see Jesus' divine grace and forgiveness. And if we'd had the testimony there, we might miss the point that Jesus comes to meet us where we are. You know, 
I've met people who've had a hard time seeing or following Jesus even as he walks past. And that's because something dark has happened in their past or is happening now or it's happening to somebody that they love. And they just cannot reconcile the act of brokenness or shame with God's goodness and grace. Have you ever met anybody like that? They're not terrible people. They just don't know how to reconcile their shame with God's goodness. And also, the act of reconciliation is scary. It is frightening to do that. Responding to Jesus' words, leaving behind one's comforts to get up and follow is powerful. On a personal level, for me, it took me three times. I went through Alpha three times to listen to Jesus. And that wasn't because uh, there were fantastic meals as a student, though, let's be honest, it was lovely. But I just couldn't reconcile myself instantly to that fullness of divine grace and forgiveness. Both encounters to Jesus are valid, and it's really important to acknowledge that. And in this instance, Matthew is able very quickly to reconcile himself to Jesus. But more than this, he wants his friends to be reconciled to Jesus too. He cares enough about their, their salvation that he invites us, he invites Matthew's friends, Matthew invites his friends to come and have a meal with Jesus. And that takes us on to the next part of the text in verse 10 where Jesus chooses to go and eat a meal with tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors, by the way, were the very viewed as one of the very base of society in Jesus' day. They were considered corrupt. They were probably charging over and above their taxes for their citizens. They were, more than this, working for the Romans, who were the oppressors of the time. So tax collectors really sat in this divide between society and their faith, if you like. And because Jesus chooses to eat with this group of people, it draws attention from the Pharisees in verse 11. You see, for them, it was against God's law to be intimate or to eat with wicked people. It says in Psalm 119 verse 115, Away from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commands of my God. The Pharisees believed that by keeping their routine of religious rituals, they were ceremonially clean and righteous. And that's something we looked at a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? This understanding of cleanliness. Because for them, to eat with this group of people made them unclean. The Pharisees aren't wholly bad or evil people. They just can't reconcile themselves to this image of the Messiah that chooses to make himself unclean with those that aren't considered in society to be top dog, if you like. They just can't align themselves to this image of Jesus, of their Messiah. And so instead of drawing close to him, they rebuke and mock his choices. So 
how does Jesus react in this situation? What can we learn from him? Jesus' actionable response and his choice of words make a real distinction here. Firstly, he chooses to eat with those considered unclean. He dismisses the stereotypes and he breaks those labels and just goes and sits with them. Second of all, he quotes scripture back to the Pharisees. He says to them, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And in fact, this is taken from Hosea 6, verse 6, and it reads this. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. He tells the Pharisees to go and learn what that means. So why does Jesus choose this verse? I mean, he could have just, it's not just a random choice, is it? Jesus speaks everything intentionally and does everything intentionally. And I think he chooses this verse because it speaks to the Pharisees in a way that they will connect with. It has that knowledge of their scripture, but also that acknowledgement of religious rituals. And it's also because the context of Hosea 6 is false repentance. The Pharisees brought their burnt offerings to the temple, but they did not bring their hearts or their love for God. And remember that they considered themselves to be already righteous because of their burnt offerings. And if we put that into the context of Matthew's response, he realised that he needed Jesus' grace and forgiveness. And we can learn from this exchange as well. We can learn that God wants our hearts more than any false or duplicitous worship. He wants us to see that we have a need for him, not that we have it all together or that we post our most popular pictures on our socials. It's that we have a real need for him. And it's important to look at what Jesus says here, but it's also really important to distinguish what he doesn't say, what his actions are. He attempts to connect with the Pharisees through words, but it's through his actions and intentional caring that Jesus connects with Matthew's friends and work colleagues directly. And there's a real lesson for us here. In fact, here's my point. We need to be the presence of Jesus to others. We need to be both equipped with the word and make the active choice to link in with those within our society who don't know Jesus, even if that makes us uncomfortable. Matthew is showing us here in this text that Jesus is the model to follow in this. Matthew follows up his response to Jesus, his response to the word, with actions, by organising a meal with his friends to connect them to Jesus. And it's after we make the decision to follow Jesus that we're drawn into the doing as well as the believing. And for me, this really plays out in my job in the prison service. 
You know, I've got a real privilege to work for the prison service, and I work alongside those who are highly likely to be considered by society today on par with the tax collectors and sinners of Jesus' day. And I think there's a real rhetoric in society at the minute that prisoners are viewed as the lowest of the low. When a prisoner is in court and they get convicted, they are taken from the court and they're taken to the holding cells beneath. And it's where we get the term to be sent down because the prisoner who goes from the echelons of society literally takes the steps down to the holding cell beneath the court. And it's my role and the role of my colleagues to provide these men with a sense of empowerment and to give them a voice when their freedom and liberties have gone. So let's take a moment to reflect on that as Matthew as a tax collector, because probably he probably would be done for fraud today, and I might well be seeing him on one of the landings in prison. And that's why this passage really resonates with me. Because one of the greatest risks to Christianity is this us versus them rhetoric, this us versus them narrative. The Pharisees pitched themselves as superior. They were, after all, doing their religious rituals. They considered themselves clean. And they pitched themselves against the inferior tax collectors and sinners. They turn their differences into moral superiority. And I think we need to consider, we need to connect with those who are not Christians on a much, much deeper level. And we do this by acknowledging what Jesus says in verse 12. He says, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. For others to encounter Jesus we need to accept that we need to let people be themselves before God and let them come to Jesus at their own pace. We need to get ourselves in closer proximity to people that don't know Jesus and to people who think, look, speak and vote differently to us. Because if we can't empathise and identify with them, then we're not going to look like Jesus to them and we're not going to share the gospel in a way that they can hear. They need to see that you see them, that you know them and that you genuinely care about them. I mean, that's challenging enough, right? But let's put that into the context of today. How do we be the presence of Jesus when we can only be with our household when we're in the middle of a lockdown pandemic? You know, I, I don't know the answer to that question, but I think it's good to ask the question this morning because I'm speaking to you to say, what does your heart move you to do in response to this text? How can we be the presence of Jesus in a pandemic? And I also understand that the prison service, it's a niche example It's one I'm passionate about, but it's a niche example. So let me finish this morning by asking you to consider, to reflect on your response to today's passage. Not just the challenge of being the presence of Jesus in a pandemic, but 
it's one that we want to consider its encounter this week, so we haven't got life groups to discuss it. So really reflect on it this week. But if you were sitting with me, I'm chairing a meeting, you're sitting with me, and we're in a room full of prisoners, how would you feel? When you reflect on this passage, maybe, maybe, sometimes you'll honestly admit to standing with the Pharisees. Or maybe this morning you feel too overwhelmed with shame and brokenness that you don't feel worthy of Jesus's love, that you sit and put yourself in the them category. And within this text, there are so many levels. There's not just those two camps. There are so many levels. And that's why Jesus takes time in verse 13 to remind us that he's come to minister to all of us. He has come to call each and every one of us this morning because we have and we still do fall short. But because we are made by Jesus and for Jesus, we can be reconciled to the one whose lasting words and actions of dying on the cross and rising again mean that we will always be welcomed at his table and in turn we can always welcome others.